So who was it in your family or the circle in which you grew up that was known for jumping in a photo? You know, the, the one that always had to be in the back with the fingers up or, or um, making that crazy face as they jumped in front of it. Was it you? Were, were you that person? They have a term for it. You probably know the term, photo bombing, and maybe it's best learned by some examples. For instance, here's an example. Sometimes it simply happens by mistake. We'll pull up that picture. So here are couples getting uh, engaged, and someone just finds themselves right in front of their shot. Uh, staying on the theme of um, uh, getting engaged, sometimes it gets sealed uh, in a certain way. Um, here we have an extra character right in the midst of the action. Of course, it can be animal to animal. Sometimes animals like to photobomb each other. Here the husky is saying, a picture? Wow! Celebrities are known to photobomb. We've got Steven Spielberg and Jessica and Jerry Seinfeld. The person behind them is George Clooney. So it doesn't really matter how old you are or how much money you have. It's still... At least one person thinks it's hilarious. Speaking of celebrities, here we have the queen, the queen photobombing, or maybe it was a selfie taken because the queen was there. But since we mentioned a mom here, let's mention a dad. There's a whole subcategory of photobombing where the dad shows up uh, right behind that window. Photobombing is uh, described or defined as the action of spoiling a photograph by unexpectedly appearing in the camera's field of view. An action of spoiling a photograph by unexpectedly appearing in the camera's field of view as the picture is taken, typically as a prank or a practical joke. But what if we were to turn it? What if someone who is supposed to be in the picture is the very one we can't see. In fact, someone who's actually in the picture, and the picture itself is meant to focus on that person, and yet our attention is given to something else. Uh, that will be what we talk about today. I think that describes a little bit of what's going on in our text. Today we're finishing up a three-part series on Trinity at Work. We're looking at John chapter 16, and at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus spends some time talking about the Spirit, and then in the center part of the chapter, He talks about Himself, the Son, and, and then here toward the end, He talks about the Father, Trinity at work, the Father. Our passage is going to be John chapter 16, verses 25 through 23, I mean, through 33. If you brought your Bibles, feel free to open it. If you're at home uh, participating in worship this morning, make sure you go and grab your Bible as well. We'll put it on the screen uh, for ease of use as well. Hear the Word of God, John 16, verses 25 through 33. I have said these things to you, Jesus said, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and, and, I, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. 
I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. May God bless the reading of his word. And may God show his favor on us as we come under that word today. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about the Father, the premacy of the Father, uh, the Father's love for the disciples, and uh, the Father's love for Jesus. And then we'll conclude with some words about the Trinity. So first, the primacy or the centrality of the Father. And we want to be careful with our words here, and so uh, hang with me because you may, it could be that our minds are already going to a conclusion that, that Scripture would not have us make. So we'll share in that together. I'm sure you've been paying attention to the inflation, the prices of everything around us. And it may be one of those summers where we're just going to choose to simplify. Uh, just do the, the things that don't cost anything. I remember growing up that I could spend hours throwing rocks in a pool of water. In fact, I can still do that, whether it's skipping a stone across a lake or, or being up on a, 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 a bit of a cliff or a bridge or even or something and throwing a big rock into a, into a pond. It just, there's something about it. I love the noise. I love the ripples. I just, I, I, I love it. Um, there's something when you drop a rock into a body of water that the rock causes water to be displaced. And the water wants to then respond and fill the void that has been made, and so it returns, and sometimes it, it'll return more aggressively, and, and so it pops up, and it, it goes up, and then it needs to fall back down itself, and, and by this pattern as it then finally settles out, but it creates the ripples, and the ripples emanate from the center. They move forward. They move out from the center I think we have a little of something that being described by Jesus here. Chapter 16, verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. That's an interesting statement by Jesus. You know, in all the teaching we have of Jesus, some of the most plain speaking he ever does is in the chapters we've been focusing on. We have Jesus describing uh, uh, in ways he hadn't described elsewhere uh, who he was and who the Spirit is and, and who the Father is. And, and yet here he's saying, you know, I, I'm going to, in just about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak more plainly. I've been speaking in figures of speech, but, but in a little while we're, I'm going to speak plainly. And so people have talked, well, what does that mean? Is, could it mean that in the actions that Jesus took by dying on the cross, and being raised from the dead. Will that be the clarity that he's talking about? I'm going to make it really clear. I'm going to make it plain to you through my actions. 
Could he possibly be referring to that, you know, after the resurrection, I'm going to come back and you're going to, based on what you saw happen, I'm going to explain it and make it clear to you. Maybe he's talking about when the Spirit arrives on Pentecost. By the way, today is Pentecost Sunday. Next week, by the way, is Trinity Sunday. We're talking about the Trinity this morning, so we're, we're a week ahead of everybody. It's the way it works out. What is he going to make it clear? Maybe he's talking about a couple centuries later when, when the church councils all come together and the Spirit's working through the church and we'll have even more clarity about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But we do notice here what, what Jesus says. He returns the attention to the Father. He doesn't say, I'm going to make it more plain. I'm going to be more plain about who I am. He doesn't say, I'm going to make it more plain about, about what I'm about to do. He doesn't draw the attention to himself. He says, I will speak more plainly about the Father, which is not a surprise for us. If we've been uh, going through the whole of the book of John, we would have picked up a number of places where Jesus has already given attention to the Father. In fact, his whole life and ministry are built around the Father. Uh, if, you have, if you're taking notes, you might just want to write down these chapters and verses, and you might be able to go back to them at a later time. John 4.34, John 4.34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 6.38, 6.38, for I have come down from heaven, Jesus said, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 5, 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So the behavior, the choices of Jesus, the behavior of Jesus, Jesus consistently connects that to the will of the Father. And then in John 12, 49, John 12, 49, Jesus says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So not just the actions of Jesus, but the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus come from the Father. John 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Jesus showing us the parallel. Listen, you follow me. I, I, I'm, I'm listening to the Father. I, I, I'm following the Father. I'm following His commands. Now you follow my commands. And I saved this one for the last. It's from 10 to 18. Because the very work, the, the biggest work of, of Jesus' life, His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, uh, the payment for our sins and the conquering of death, in 10 18, Jesus says, no one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus consistently gives attention to the Father in his actions and teaching. He describes that ripple coming forward. Vicky is a big fan, my wife, a uh, big fan of Jane Austen, and has, you know, read all of her books, and, uh, um, and so from time to time, we'll watch a movie that's based on one of Jane Austen's books, and Vicky helps me through the movie, right, because I, I don't understand all the, the hierarchy of relationships and how everybody's supposed to, in, in that time for Britain when the 
the society was built on these different levels of, uh, of who had, uh, um, you know, higher ranking and lower ranking. And in the end, the stories are always about relationships, always about relationships. So what do we have going on here? Jesus voluntarily recognizes the primacy or centrality of the Father. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. It's not a primacy of rank. It's not like the Father is ranked higher than the Son. In fact, we know that in the Trinity, through the teaching of Scripture, through the discernment of the church over the years, that the Father, Son, and Spirit are, are equal in rank, that they're equal in essence and nature and glory and majesty. That's not like the Father is higher than the Spirit or the, that the Son is higher than the Spirit or the Spirit is higher than the Father. It's not the case. This is not an issue of primacy of rank. In fact, if we wanted to, and we will take just a brief little time just to talk about the Trinity itself. And this is a classic understanding of the doctrine. If we were to take these seven statements and put them together, we have an understanding of, uh, of something that w- what we mean by the Trinity, what the Bible teaches about the, uh, the triune God that, that is. First of all, that God is one. And that there is no other God. There is only a single God. There is one God. God is one. And the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. So there's just one God, and it's not but, like this then contradicts that, but it's and. The God is one, and the Father is God, and the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. And then there's a clarification. Now, now wait a minute. The Father is not the Son. So it's not like the Father puts on a costume and becomes the Son for a little bit of time. The Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. And when we hold these seven statements together, we we have this idea, this doctrine of the triune God, that they're the three persons of the one Godhead, that the single God are equal in uh, rank, equal in essence, equal in nature, equal in glory and majesty. Then we see those last three statements in we see that they're not the same. When we look at Scripture, we find that, that it's the Father who sends the Son. The Son never sends the Father. It, it, it's the Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Father doesn't proceed from the Son and the Spirit. That, that in this Godhead, that there is order in the Godhead, that that they're all of the same rank, all of the same essence, all the same substance, all the same glory, all the same majesty. And yet we also see this order taking place. Theologians describe it as a relational subordination. They use that word an economic subordination, but I think uh, relational, the idea of a, a choosing the midst of a relationship to, uh, to willingly go forward. Uh, not a statement about rank or essence, but a ministry of moving forward. Jesus willingly represents the Father's will. Jesus willingly represents the Father's will. 
the words that he speaks, the actions that he takes, he willingly represents the Father's will. And the Spirit, Jesus, when we looked at what Jesus was saying about the Spirit, he goes, listen, he will bring to mind everything that I have told you. Jesus, the Spirit willingly represents the Son in this uh, dynamic of the Father, Father's will being worked out. So when we look to the Spirit, we're going to hear about the Son. When we look to Jesus, we're going to hear from the Father. God is one. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. The Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Spirit. And the Spirit's not the Father. But we see this working out and getting to know Jesus through the Spirit, getting to know the Father through the Son. In John's Gospel, Jesus wants the disciples to know the Father. When we look at verse 28, he says, Jesus says, I came from the Father, and I have come into the world. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. It's this wonderful uh, little statement that really provides the, the, the story of the, of the good news of the Gospel. It describes for us in four phrases it tells us of the journey of Jesus in that first part of it, that first phrase. This is the pre-existent Jesus. I have come from the Father. I came from the Father. That's that pre-existent Jesus. I have come into the world. That's the incarnation. And now I'm leaving the world. That's his death. And, then, and I am leaving to go to the Father. And that's his ascension. And we have this story that, that has the Father in the beginning and the Father at the end. And Jesus is going, listen, here's where I started. I've come in here, and here's where I'm returning. It's a primacy and centrality of relationship. It's a story of community within the Trinity. Let's just move on then. The, the Father's love for the disciples the Father's love for the disciples. Maybe that's a new word for you, the, the idea of disciple. And, and it, I've experienced folks before, sometimes, some folks will hold, well, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't know if I really want to be a disciple. And, and really, to be a Christian is to be a disciple. That a disciple is a student or a lifelong learner, a follower. And that there's no status to be a Christian and not be a, a, a disciple. And so, so to hear that God loves disciples, that the Father loves the disciples... It's to know that, that if we're a follower of Christ, that we're loved by the Father. Look at verses 26 and 27. In that day, Jesus said, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I have come from God. It can be helpful to know, and we talked about this last week, that Jesus had said to the disciples, just in verse, what we call verse 23, he said that one of the gifts that come about because of his work on the cross and, his, and being raised from the dead was that we could ask the Father anything in his name and the Father would do it. And last week we explored to ask something in the name of Jesus is to ask it in alignment with him, in alignment with Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. That we, would, we could go to the Father and ask anything in, in alignment with Jesus in, in, in the very cause of Christ. And the Father would give it. And Jesus is going, listen, when you ask in my name, I'm not saying that I'm going to be there going, okay, you can talk to me and I'll go talk to the Father for you. That's not what he's setting up. He goes, listen, I don't have to be the one that talks to the Father because you need to know this. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. I grew up watching a lot of cop shows. And maybe you've seen a number, enough of them yourself. But I grew up watching shows like Kojak and um, 
just all kinds of different TV shows. What's the, the Chichong one that's Law and Order, right? That, that, and so one of the tropes in, in um, uh, cop shows has always been the good cop, bad cop, right? So one of the cops comes in and, uh, uh, and you know, the uh, suspect's best friend. Oh, can I get you a cup of coffee? Oh, I tell you, I- I'm here for you. And the other cop comes in, throws a chair around, and they have to restrain him, and they play this good cop, bad cop. Now, kids figure this out between mom and dad, don't they? They kind of know who's easy and who's a little harder. So kids naturally figure that out, and they kind of play the, the good, you know, play off one, one parent off another. And maybe we fall into that when it comes to relating to God. We have this sense of, you know, the God the Father, that, that story of God in the Old Testament. Maybe we find ourselves going, I, I'm just not comfortable with that God. M- maybe we find ourselves thinking that, that my relationship with my earthly father uh, has been just so broken that I really struggle to connect with God as Father. And there can be a number of different reasons, and, and it may be that we, we play off one off the other and, and think that this is in a more approachable, and here's what Jesus wants us to know. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. Jesus' work in this world was on behalf of the Father. It was the teaching of the Father. It was the will of the Father. The Father loves you you. Jesus explained that because you love me, and it's just one of those big, now hear this, God the Father loves you. We know that, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. There's that passage that we mentioned, I believe, last week, that 1 John 4, 9, and 10. Listen to this. Watch this. In this, the love of God, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to, to pay the penalty for our sins, to be our atoning sacrifice for us. Maybe this isn't an issue for you. Maybe you've always thought that God the Father has loved you, but please know that for someone it is an issue. And maybe you're sitting here now going, this has always been an issue for me. I've never known that the Father can be trusted or that he's going to love me. And, and I've always just felt close to Jesus as, as that one member of the Godhead. But I, and Jesus would have us know that in the community of the, of the Trinity, in the single Godhead that the Father is a father who loves. Then we find out that the father has love for Jesus as well. The father's love for Jesus. The father's love for the son. In verses 31 and 32, we read, and, and Jesus answered them. Now, we'll pause here just for a second to, uh, just to mention what the disciples had said. You know, they said, oh, Thank you, Jesus. We, uh, we get what you were saying. You're speaking clearly now, and, and no one needs to ask you any more questions, and we get it. And Jesus goes, do you? Yeah, do you? Really? He says, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. 
the disciples had gotten all full of themselves. Jesus catches them up. He says, listen, you're going to desert me, but the Father won't. And what Jesus sets up here is a real comparison between the, the fickleness of the disciples, the disciples' fickleness, and the Father's faithfulness. The disciples' fickleness and the Father's faithfulness. The Father will be faithful to the Son. God the Father will be faithful to Jesus Christ. And so for us to know that as the Father is faithful to the Son, we can trust that the Father will be faithful to us. In this whole chapter, in these, the three parts of the sermon series, we have talked about the Trinity at work. We looked at the Spirit, and we heard that the Spirit is sent to followers for the world, that the Spirit of God would come to followers, that, that, the, that the third person of the Trinity, God's Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, would come to followers of Christ on behalf of the world, so that through the, the ministry of the followers of Christ, the world could hear the good news, that they, there would be convicted, a conviction in people's hearts. And that the Spirit has come to followers for followers. That the Spirit would bring to our remembrance all that Christ had said and did. We learned last week about the Son, that, that the Trinity at work, the Son, and Jesus used this double a little while. A little while, and, I, and you will not be able to see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. I will see you. And, and he used that to refer to his death and his resurrection. This amazing work, and we found that the fruit of that work would be for us eternal joy, a joy that could not be taken away from us, and that we could do all things in His name, that we could pray in His name, we could seek God's uh, uh, blessing in His name, that, that we could live in His name and, and serve in His name, uh, minister in His name. And then today, the Father, that the centrality of His will, the centrality of His love. And so why is it important to know about the Trinity? Why is it important to know about the Trinity? There's a little, uh, it functions like a devotional. It, it's actually a, a catechism, the New City Catechism, and, and, which is simply a question and answer. There's 52 questions and answer. You can use it for a year, and you kind of work your way through. And at the beginning of the book, there's a chapter on... Uh, the question about the Trinity. And part of the devotional is given by Kevin DeYoung, and, and he brings forward, and others have brought the same things forward as well, but he brings forward that there are three reasons why we would want to know about the Trinity. Knowing the Trinity reveals how there can be unity and diversity. Unity and diversity, that for all of eternity, that we have this diversity in the, in the single Godhead, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit that all three, yes, Father is God, Son is God, Spirit is God, and yet the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. And there, there's unity that they have together. In our world, in our brokenness, we know that diversity and differences, we can weaponize that and use that against each other. And here, by knowing the Trinity, we can have hope that there can be unity and diversity. The second thing that... Uh, uh, Kevin DeYoung points out is that to know the Trinity reveals to us that love existed eternally, that love existed eternally. You know, people, when I talk to people about heaven or when this kind of the conversation comes up, people will mention things that they love, and they figure that heaven is full of things that they love. 
Like, like, you know, I love golf, so I'm going to golf the rest of my, for all of eternity. It's just going to be one uh, uh, round of 18 after another. Um, or maybe some people love eating, and they love, heaven's going to be full of that banquet, or whatever it might be. And, but to know the Trinity is to know that love has been around for all of eternity. If, the, if God were simply one and not three, if, if God were simply one and there wasn't Father, Son, and Spirit, if God was just one, then love would have been a potential. There would have been potential for love. But because God is one and three, that that love has existed for all of eternity and will exist for all of eternity. Love is eternal in God. And finally, that to know the Trinity, it reveals God to us. It reveals God to us. To, to ignore the Trinity is to ignore that, that, that fuller picture of who God is. And maybe some, some of us go, look, look, the Father has photobombed the Son. Or, 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 or look, the Son is photobombing the Father. Uh, and we don't ever apply or don't really recognize who the Spirit might be in the picture. And Jesus goes, you need to know the whole of the picture. The Spirit's going to help you get to know me. I want you to know I come from the Father and I do everything that that he's commanded me to do. So going forward this year, as we listen to God, in fact, all years going forward, for us to be able to know God as God is, that we would rely on the Spirit, as the Spirit calls our attention to the Son, that we would follow the Son as the Son proclaims the Father, that we would know that we are loved by the Father, and together that we would, try, that we would glorify our triune God. And so let's keep God. Let's keep God the Father. Let's keep God the Son. Keep God the Spirit, the center of all that we do. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that you indeed are the God who you are and that you would choose to reveal yourself to us. We thank you, God, that you do not leave us ignorant of who you are. And we glorify you that that nothing in this universe can even parallel who you are, that can even come close to being like you. For we are dependent upon you, and you are the great God. And we praise you for the love that you show us. May all that we do flow from you. May your very essence, may, may your very will, may, may all that you are about, may those ripples be seen in our lives, in all that we do and say, and how we treat one another. Even now, as we take this meal together, we give you praise that you are the God in your love, sent your son, that we would have new life. We pray that you would set aside these elements for your own glory. Would you be in our hearts as we come and celebrate together as your children, as the body of Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.